you got a Bible, go to Matthew chapter 6. And while you're turning there, let me give you one public service announcement I was reminded of. Next week is daylight savings time. And so unless you want to be late to church, you might want to change your clock. So Matthew chapter 6. Today we're going to finish up our study on the Lord's Prayer. Um, we've been looking at this the past three or four weeks, and uh, so far what we've learned this is that we ought to be praying for God's kingdom, for God's name, for God's will every day. Uh, we ought to be praying uh, dependent upon the Lord. Give us this day our daily bread that we, we need to recognize every single day that we are dependent upon God um, for everything we have and everything that we do. And then we learned last week or a couple weeks ago that we need to be praying for forgiveness. Both at salvation we ask for forgiveness, but also we ought to be seeking God's forgiveness on a regular basis so that we do not, um, so we do not break that fellowship, so that we can maintain that close walk with the Lord on a daily basis. And so today we come to verse 13, which says this, And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Today I want to preach on temptation and how we ought to be praying for temptation. But first it might be helpful if we were to define that word temptation. What does Jesus mean here when he speaks of temptation? You know, we might use that word fairly casually today, um, maybe even on a day, daily basis. You know, you might get done with your dinner and you might say, man, that dessert is really tempting, right? Uh, you might get home from church this afternoon and say, man, I'm really tempted with all this rain to take a nap, correct? Uh, you might drive an old car and you might go by the car lot and you might say, I'm really tempted to go buy me a new car. Um, usually when we say that, when we make reference to things like that, we're not really talking about evil and sin, are we? We're just talking about something that's appealing, something that sounds good, something that is enticing, but it's not usually bad things. Well, in the New Testament, this word here for temptation is the word parasmos, um, and it has two possible meanings. In some instances, when we find it in the New Testament, it means a test. And when it's used in that sense, it's referring to a difficulty, a, a particular circumstance, a trying circumstance that we go through that was orchestrated by God in order to test our faith, in order to test the genuineness, the strength of our faith. But there's other instances, like here, where it means temptation where it means an invitation to sin. It means something that entices us to do evil, to engage in something that breaks God's commands. It's the context that tells us which, which, what, what it means in each situation. And here, because Jesus connects it to evil, he says, and deliver us from evil, we know that he's talking specifically about that temptation to engage in sin, that temptation to do evil. Now, temptation can take many forms, right? Sometimes it can be external. Sometimes it's something from the outside. It's a, it's a forbidden thing. It's an unbiblical relationship. It's the temptation to react in anger, the temptation to engage in some unholy behavior, the temptation to use foul language, for instance. Sometimes temptation can be internal. Sometimes it can take the form of pride or arrogance or greed or selfishness or doubt. And sometimes it can be both. Sometimes it can begin internally and then be begin to move externally. Like, for instance, the, the temptation, the internal desire of pride might lead someone to buy more and more things with money they do not have in order to try to impress more and more people, to make themselves look like they are something. 
or the internal desire for fulfillment or pleasure might lead a man to begin searching the internet for pornography or might lead a woman to begin flirting with some coworker who's given her attention because they want some type of fulfillment, something that they're missing, something that they wish they could get that they don't have. Well, let's pause for a second. I want us to consider what James has to say about temptation. In James chapter 1, verse 13, it's going to be on the screen. Um, I want us to think about because I think James's words help us to understand Jesus' words. Verse 13, he says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. And so first off, God is not responsible for temptation. God does not tempt us. It is That temptation is not from God. It can be confusing when we hear Jesus pray and lead us not into temptation. Because we can begin to think, well, is God leading me into temptation? I'm begging him not to lead me there. That's not the case. James tells us that, that it cannot be because God is not associated with evil. And so it might be better, like the New Living Translation says here, that it says, do not let us yield to temptation. James goes on like this in verse 14. He says, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire." Then desire, when it is conceived, give birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, gives, brings forth death. And so some sinful desire begins to build up within us. Some desire for something or some, some whatever it might be begins to build up within us. It begins to entice us. And maybe even in that situation, the devil then throws something externally that begins to tempt us. And then oftentimes what happens is... We know what we ought to do, but we're not guided by what we know. Instead, we're guided by what we want. We're guided by our desire. And that desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. And so to kind of put it into our own words, I think part of this prayer to lead us not into temptation might sound like this. God, help me to understand the source of my temptation. Help me to understand my spiritual weaknesses, Lord. Help me to know where the cracks in the armor are, so to speak. God, where are those areas in my life where I am seeking pleasure and fulfillment and happiness in unholy, unbiblical, sinful ways? God, help me to see who I genuinely am. Where is my weakness? Here's why I think that would help us out. If we understood the root of our temptation, whether that be something internal or whether that be something external, then we could begin to discipline ourselves to, to, to put up the barriers in our lives so that we could avoid those temptations. Now, don't get me wrong. We, we only do that by the power of the Holy Spirit. But if God would help us to understand, if, as we pray that and seek the Lord's will, where am I most tempted then we can begin to, to allow the Spirit to move through us, to work through us in those areas. We need to understand where is it that we're tempted. I mean, consider Peter, for instance. Jesus warned Peter, you're going to deny me three times. And what, what did Peter do? He was arrogant. He thought, no, not me. No, not me. Matthew 26, 35, Jesus said, even, or Peter said, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. He thought he had it figured out. He had a blind spot he refused to admit. Yet what took place at Christ's crucifixion? He didn't die with the Lord there, did he? He denied him, not once, not twice, but three times. 
His arrogance got the best of him. He refused to see his weakness. And the devil exploited it. The devil saw the door open. You know, we're the same way. We're no different. In fact, I think it would be equally helpful if we prayed this. God, help me to see that I'm not invincible. Help me to know that I am not perfect. I have not arrived. That I can and do oftentimes fall. A few weeks ago, one of those unseasonably warm afternoons we had on a Sunday afternoon, um, we all went home. Kim went and laid down, took a nap. The boys were playing or something. and I, So I said, I'm going to go fishing. I'm going to go to the pond and go do some fishing. So I wandered back to the neighborhood pond. And we got a couple of ponds back there, and I went to the big one, the big pond. I fished for a while. I didn't catch anything. Well, there's an overflow pond behind the main pond where if the water gets up, runs it in that pond, water drops, fish get stuck there. And it's like fishing in a bathtub. You go back there, and you can catch a lot. Well, they don't cut the grass around that. And so um, as, I, as I went, kind of went over the little levee, and began to walk down to that pond, I always will intentionally like step on some sticks or something just to kind of make sure there's nothing on the ground around me. Well, as soon as I stepped on a stick, I heard it. In fact, I would say I heard them. And I looked down, and just to the left of my left foot, I saw big old cottonmouth, water moccasin, right there in the grass. And not only did I see that one, but then I heard his twin brother over to my right. And in that instance, I thought to myself, these fish ain't worth it. Um, if they had been much closer, you might have seen me try to walk on water. You know? um, I might have taken off. Uh, I didn't want to be there. I, I thought, you know, it's not worth me trying to fish here. There are these snakes right here. And so I said, not today. And I backed up and I went back and fished somewhere else and didn't catch anything. And I was perfectly happy that day. Um, you know, I've never been bitten by a snake. I never have. Um, thank goodness. But I'm pretty aware that I am... Um, not invincible, that I can be bitten. You know, I might think that I'm fast enough to get away. I might think I'm smart enough not to step on them. I mean, I did try to step on some sticks and all so I could startle them. You know, I might think I have on thick enough boots that they can't bite through the boot, but you know what? It's just not worth the risk in my book. You know, sometimes we can walk through this life like we're invincible as snake bites in a spiritual sense. You know, we say, I'm okay. I can be around that stuff. I can be around that person. I can do that thing. I can go to that place. I'm not going to be tempted. I'm not going to make a mistake. I'm not going to fall. I'm not going to slip up. I'm okay. I'm strong enough to stand. But meanwhile, the snakes are circling, waiting for that opportunity to pounce. I mean, think about it like this. Just to give you an extreme example, would it be a good idea for an alcoholic to go walking down, up and down the aisles of a liquor store? No, correct. That would not be a good idea. Well, I think we do the same thing when we disregard the temptation in our life and we think, oh, I'm too, I'm too strong for this. There's no way I would fall to that. Think about it like this. Last week, excuse me, hold on. Last week I was coming back from Carville, down Carville Arlington Road, and I looked over to my right, over on the east side of the road, and there was a big old tree, big tree had fallen in this field. Um, huge tree, looked like, looked like a healthy tree. It was kind of off in the distance. I didn't stop and look at it or anything, but I just saw it and it passed by. Whole thing fell over. Root ball came up out of the ground and all. You know, you've seen trees like this, right? And, and as I drove by that thing so quickly, I thought, man, that's a big tree. How did that tree fall over? 
I mean, it looked like it had plenty enough roots to, to, to stand up. And, and, and I wasn't there, you know, when it fell. But I'm guessing that what took that tree down was two things. Rain and wind. I mean, as you know, this is like the driest February we've ever had, right? I mean, we can't get a day without rain, it seems, around here. It's getting a little annoying. Um, we've been inundated with rain, and I think it's, it's a beautiful thing that it's raining this morning when I'm going to share this illustration. Um, but you know what happens. It rains, and 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 that ground gets so extremely soft that suddenly, what does it take to, to drop that tree? One good gust of wind, right? A gust of wind that probably it could have withstood had the ground been dry. Had this been the middle of the summer and the ground was perfectly dry, that tree probably would still be standing. But because the ground was so wet, because it was so damp, just one big gust was all it took, and that tree came crashing down. Now, what's my point? When we immerse ourselves in temptation with little thought that we might fall, when we allow our minds to be saturated, to allow temptation to set up shop in our minds, guess what happens? It's like the ground of our life is getting soggy. It's getting damp. It's getting weak. We become susceptible. And one good gust of wind, one moment of weakness, one slip-up, one passing glance, one moment of carelessness, and down we fall. 1 Corinthians 10, 12 says, Therefore let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. You know, you can have all the biblical knowledge in the world. You can be at church every single week. You can read your Bible on a daily basis. You can be a spiritually healthy person, but if you allow temptation to rain down on you day and night, unchecked, guess what might just happen? You might fall to it. I read someone that said this yesterday. said, don't ask God to protect you from what you keep running to. And oh, how true that is. My college minister, Ed Newton, used to say this. He used to say, we're all just one step away from stupid. And it's true that when we allow ourselves to become immersed in temptation, we're just one step. We're just one moment. We're just one Quick glance away from being stupid and doing something that we would regret. And so part of that fight against temptation involves knowing where is it that we're tempted and realizing I'm not invincible. God, show me how I can get out. Scripture tells us God always provides a way, a means of escape. How can I get away from this? Help me to see it. 1 Peter 5.8 says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. The devil's not just a serpent. He's a lion who is seeking to devour you. And how do we find ourselves in that situation? When we constantly allow temptation to reign in our lives. But notice this. Jesus, in this prayer, made it clear that we are not the solution to our temptation problem. I think we ought to be praying, God, help me to see that I'm not the answer. I'm not the solution to the temptation that I I face. He said, lead us not into temptation. Lead us, but deliver us from evil. 
He's teaching us to call out to God for deliverance. You see, we cannot, we do not resist temptation on our own willpower. By our own ingenuity, by our own free will. We don't. We don't. That whole idea of deliver there, it implies desperation, powerlessness, a lack of self-sufficiency. Our ability to fight temptation comes not from ourselves. It comes from the Lord. This is not about manufacturing your own holiness. This is not about manhandling your morality. This is about turning to the Lord and saying, Lord, show me the way out. We don't defeat temptation by constantly saying, don't commit that sin, don't commit that sin, don't commit that sin, don't commit that sin, don't commit that sin. That's not how we do it. We don't overcome it with information or even our willpower. We overcome it by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And I would say even more specifically that we overcome temptation by allowing the Word of God to dwell richly in our hearts and in our minds and in our souls. We fight temptation the same way that Jesus fought it when he was in the wilderness. When he was in the wilderness for that 40 days being tempted by the devil, what did Jesus use to fight temptation every time? Scripture. He so knew the word of God that every time the devil came at him, he had Scripture prepared. He was ready for it. And that ought to be how we are. That we ought to be ready to fight it because our hearts and our minds are full of the Holy Spirit and full of the Word of God. Think about this. Okay. Um, now, we're all looking forward to spring, right? Amen? Aren't you glad? I want you to be glad. I mean, if we're not going to get snow, let's go ahead and get spring, right? Uh, that's the attitude around our house. Um, I don't know if you care about your yard, but I try to take care of mine. I, I do. I, I try to get rid of the weeds. I try to have a nice-looking yard, um, I've got a guy that comes out periodically and sprays my yard and does a really good job and helps me get rid of the weeds. And then I go out there and try to pull some stuff to keep him out. But what if I fired that guy? And what if I just decided that if I'm going to get rid of my weeds, I'm just, all I'm going to do is just go out there with a bottle of Roundup. And it's going to be like, like an old Western. And that's all I did was I just ran and shot the weeds Shoot that one, shoot that one, shoot that one, shoot that one, shoot that one. What would be the result? I'd have a bunch of dead weeds, but I'd also have a bunch of bare, bare yard, right? I'd have a bunch of dead spots, correct? You know, I have learned in my 13 years of home ownership that if I want a decent-looking yard, I don't need to just pull the weeds. I don't need to just get rid of the weeds. I've got to feed the grass. Uh, you know, it's like that guy says, let me kill your weeds, <laughs> you know? You got you to feed the grass as well. You got to get rid of the weeds and then you got to feed the grass so that the grass can then fill in the bare spots because the grass will choke out the weeds. It removes a place, it, it eliminates the places where the weeds would take root. Now, to this point, you might think all we've talked about is the weeds in our lives, the temptation. And yes, we need to remove those things, but then what do we need to do next? Fill our lives with the Word of God. We've got to feed the grass. We've got to allow the Word to fill us so that there's no room for the weeds, so that there's no place for that temptation to take root. And how do we do that? We do it by spending time in the Word, by spending time in prayer, by seeking the Lord. Lord, lead me not into temptation as I seek for you to lead me into righteousness. And I seek to allow your Word to lead me into holy living. But let me add this, one last thing. 
Jesus said here, notice the pronouns he uses, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Did you notice he didn't say me? He said us. I think we need to be reminded that as part of the body of Christ, faith is a team effort. And resisting temptation is a team fight. You know, I, I, think, I think in a way, in the Baptist church, I think we can oftentimes overemphasize, overemphasize the individual nature of faith. We talk about a, a lot about, you know, receive Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, right? You know, you can't get saved on your grandma's faith, all that kind of thing, and that's absolutely true. We talk a lot about spending individual time in the Word and all that kind of stuff, but we cannot forget that though our salvation is individual, God has called us to live out our faith in community, in the church. And we have a responsibility to one another to hold each other accountable. Al Mohler, one of our seminary presidents, says it like this. He says, we cannot be faithful individually if we are not faithful together. And I believe that is absolutely true. Think about what Paul wrote in Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. He says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch over yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Or 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 14. Paul once again says, We urge you, brothers, admonish the idle. Encourage the faint-hearted. Help the weak. Be patient with them all. And so we need one another for encouragement. We need one another for accountability. We need one another for rebuke, for correction. Christ has given us each other so that we might each encourage each other to walk in faithfulness. So that if you see me walking into temptation, you can grab me by the arm and pull me away. And if I see you, I can do the same. To bear one another's burdens is to seek to, to bring each other along, to lift each other up. I mean, consider, think about it like this. I want you to imagine for a second the most dangerous animal that you can think of. Maybe it's a lion. Maybe it's a tiger. Maybe it's a bear. Oh, my. Um, you know, I read on the Internet yesterday the most dangerous creature in the world, the, most, the, the, animal, the, thing, the thing that is most responsible for people dying every year, a mosquito. Isn't that crazy? Now, you can believe it down here in the South, right? You know, when sometimes they can be so thick, it's like they could carry you away. Um, but let's just think about animals. Let's just imagine that you walked out of your house one day, and here comes a tiger running down the street toward you. What would you do? Go back inside, right? <laughs> you would get back in the house. You would be scared, right? You would not stand out there and just watch. Well, look at that tiger, you know? Um, he would get in the house, correct? Now, what if once you walked in the, in the house, you saw your neighbor begin to walk outside and they were completely oblivious to this tiger? What would you do then? Open the blinds and get the popcorn and watch for the show? I mean, if it's a neighbor that you like, let's just take that for instance. It's not one that you don't like, but it's a neighbor that you like. What would you do? You would begin to open the door. You'd begin to shout, to scream, tiger, get it, tiger. You know, you do something to get their attention because you're trying to save their life. You would feel at least somewhat responsible, I would think, if you're a decent human being, to think, I've got to help my neighbor get inside to safety. So I need to do something so they don't die in this moment. That's accountability. 
The devil prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. And Christ has called us to hold each other accountable. To be the tool by which God may save someone from falling into sin. This morning, I want to finish just with this question. How are you doing in the fight with temptation? I'd like to invite you to bow your heads, close your eyes, and just for a moment to think about your life, to take a little account of your life. As you've thought about this this morning, as you've heard me preach on temptation this morning, is there some area of weakness that comes to mind? Some part of your life where you consistently fall into sin over and over and over again? Do you keep making a mess and then expecting God to fix the mess over and over again? Maybe there's some change that needs to happen. Maybe God has revealed to you today something's got to give. Something's got to change. You ask God to deliver you from the temptation, but yet you keep running right to it. And so maybe there's a relationship that needs to change. Maybe there's a new rule that needs to be um, applied in the house. Some change in your schedule, some change in your routine, something to break that hold that temptation and sin has on you. God calls us to pray. Lead us not into temptation. Are you taking that seriously today? There's some promise from Scripture that you need to hold tightly to, some way that you need to fill your life with the Word of God in a more diligent manner so that the Holy Spirit might, might fight that temptation for you. Today, let it be the day that you say, Father, I'm not going to continue to fall to this, but through the power of your Holy Spirit, I'm asking that you would give us victory. Or maybe today you're not a believer in Jesus Christ. You've never put your faith and trust in him. Let me tell you, um, you're not the answer to your sin problem. Jesus is. You can't live a good enough life to save yourself. Jesus came to do that for you lived a perfect life, died on a cross, rose from the grave, all to pay the price for your sin and for my sin. And you can receive that forgiveness just like many of us in this room have received it. If only you'll put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Today at this invitation time, I want to invite you to come down here to talk with me more about that. Or with Brother Gary or someone we can share with you what it means to put your faith and trust in Jesus so that you can know that you know that you know that you have eternal life. And if you have some other decision that needs to be made today, some, something you need to repent of, some time you need to spend at the altar praying, a decision you need to make as far as church membership, rededication, this is the time to do so. Father God, we pray right now for each and every person in this room today that's heard the preaching of your word, we pray that it would be effective in their heart and in their life. And it's in Christ's name we do pray these things. Amen. Would you stand as we sing?